the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. It is indeed, and hour number two now is underway at nine minutes past ten o'clock. Thanks for being with us on this Monday, the 22nd morning of the 11th month of the year of our Lord, 2021. For those who were not with us at the top of the show, uh, and for those who were with us at the top of the show, uh, we did an interview with Congressman Jim Jordan <clears throat> right out of the gate at 9.08 because of his schedule. He normally joins us at 9.35. So we had to jump right into the interview, which means I neglected to begin our broadcast with our requisite Pledge of Allegiance. So I want to uh, undo that mistake right now. I want to right that wrong, and I want to get the Pledge of Allegiance uh, taken care of. We do not start our show without it unless, of course, there is a mistake. So let's correct that now. If you are a patriot, please stand where you are, whether anybody's watching or not. Face a flag if you have one. If you don't, just put your hand on your heart. If you're driving, just uh, do what you can do and recite it along with us as we pledge allegiance to a republic that was once free. That can be free again, but will only be so with the will and courage of patriots like us making it so. If you are a leftist, if you're a Biden voter, if you oppose the Rittenhouse verdict, if you are for rioting and, and, and looting and stealing and assaulting, which are all demon rat principles, please go ahead and take your knee alongside your heroes like Colin Kaepernick. For the rest of us, join. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands one nation under god indivisible with liberty and justice for all all right friends uh, i want to begin our number two by talking about what uh, you know the obvious here um which is what went down on friday i was getting nervous as they were in their fourth day of deliberations i have to tell you I was terrified that the jury in Kenosha, Wisconsin, in the case of Kyle Rittenhouse, was going to have been intimidated by the mob, 
by the mob literal mob outside the courthouse, which were allowed for some stupid reason in crowd control that I'll never understand. They were allowed to be literally right up next to the building, shouting and chanting so loud that it could be heard inside the courthouse. That means the jurors heard it, the witnesses heard it, the prosecution heard it, the judge heard it, and they allowed it to continue. Between that and then the threats of doxing jurors and potentially putting their families in harm's way, I was afraid the jury was going to be too afraid to convict and either come back hung or, um, or excuse me, to acquit, rather, or to come back hung and to convict or to convict one or the other. So when they came back with the uh, uh, not guilty on all counts, I, I, I breathed a deep sigh of relief, not only for the young um, defendant in the case, Kyle Rittenhouse, but quite frankly, I, felt, I, I breathed a deep sigh of relief for you and for me and anybody and everybody that believes in law and order and, yes, the right, the right to defend ourselves if we find ourselves under attack. And it does not matter. Whether we're under attack in our homes, at a movie, in a restaurant, or at a protest. That's right. There was a protest that was going on. Kyle Rittenhouse had every right to be at that protest as much as any other protester was there, even though his intent was not to protest, but to scrub the graffiti off of the walls, spray paint it on there by protesters, to put out fires, to provide medical care, even if it's simple first aid, as much as he can. He had every right to be there just as every other protester. And as such, at any time when someone gets attacked violently and they feel as though their safety or their life is in danger, they have to have a right to defend themselves. Kyle Rittenhouse went into this situation knowing that he might have to defend himself, which is why he obtained the uh, AR-15 that he did when he went to Kenosha which, by the way, was not a stretch for him. It's 20 miles away from where his mom lives, and it's exactly where his dad lives. Half of his life is spent there. People thought he just went to a place he had no connection to with the intent of stalking people. Why did people think that? Well, because of what I want to talk about. Because the media and the left-wing politicians in in Washington, D.C. said so. That's why. An absolutely embarrassing display put on by... The leftist uh, members of the Congress, people like Cori Bush, people like Ayanna Presley, people like AOC, people like Jerry Nadler, screaming and, 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 and whining that this white supremacist was out there as a vigilante attacking people at a Black Lives Matter protest. Now, I want to hit a couple of points here, a couple of very important points, as I give you some of the reactions and the responses from the demon rats and their, their colleagues in the media. But I wanna, I'm going to point a couple of things out here. In, not, well, in all of the coverage of the Kyle Rittenhouse case that I have watched since last summer when this all took place, the only thing you hear when you hear about the victims is that Kyle Rittenhouse shot and killed two people and wounded a third. What's absent from that reporting? And this is all reporting, print and broadcast media. What is absent from that reporting? Especially considering that Kyle Rittenhouse was called by the media, by members of Congress, and at the time, by candidate for President Joseph R. Biden. What's missing from the description of Kyle Rittenhouse will face charges of murder for shooting two people and wounding a third? 
What's missing? What's missing is the description of the victims. Nowhere in the media coverage and nowhere in the congressional commentary did anybody point out that the victims were white. In 0% of the coverage did they say 17-year-old Kyle Rittenhouse of Antioch, Illinois, went to Kenosha, Wisconsin, and there he shot and killed two white people, two white males, and wounded a third white male. And you may say, well, what difference does it make? Why would they say white in the, in the headlines and in the news coverage? And the answer, of course, is because if the victims in the shootings were not white... They would absolutely have told you so. In the same way that they talk about Jacob Blake, who was actually shot by the police that precipitated the situation in Kenosha. They just they describe police shot Jacob Blake, a black male who had already committed an assault, who was armed with a knife, who refused to drop it when ordered by police. Black male. Anytime you hear coverage of George Floyd, black male. Anytime you hear coverage of uh, of Trayvon Martin, black male. Of Michael Brown, black male. The people shot in instances like this are always identified by their color if indeed they have a color that's not white. If they are a person of color, as the new phraseology goes. If they are black in particular, everybody needs to know that who was shot, he was a black male. Now, why would they not identify Kyle Rittenhouse's, uh, I don't want to use the word victim, that would indicate Kyle Rittenhouse committed a crime. They're not victims. They were the aggressors. They were the attackers. Kyle Rittenhouse defended himself. But the people who were shot, why would they go out of their way to not say that they were white? And the answer is because they wanted people who were not following this very closely to think that this 18 or 17-year-old went into a Black Lives Matter rally and shot three black people. Hence, the white supremacist tag being put on him by by Joe Biden. Hence, the white nationalist tag being put on him by members of Congress. Hence, the racist Kyle Rittenhouse racist vigilante tag put on him by the mainstream legacy media. They did their level best to confuse the public. They did their level best to let people think that he shot black people. Because that would be better for their narrative. And can I tell you this? Had the three individuals who attacked him in the same exact way been black? I will predict for you right now that Kyle Rittenhouse would not have been acquitted. Not in a million years. Because the violence that we saw break out in response to the actual acquittal here would have been times one trillion. Had the Individuals who Kyle Rittenhouse shot been black in the same exact self-defense scenario. Not in a million years. Some of the reactions of the Democrats speak volumes. Cory Bush, Democrat from Missouri, said that every facet of the trial was, quote, white supremacy in action. The judge, the jury, the defendant, it's white supremacy in action. This system isn't built to hold white supremacists accountable. It's why black and brown folks are brutalized and put in cages while white supremacist murderers walk free. I think the only word in her entire response to the Rittenhouse verdict that was accurate was the. She used the on a few different occasions, and I think she used them correctly. Every other word was inaccurate. Every other word was a simple lie, or a very large lie, rather than simple, to be quite frank. 
He is not a white supremacist. Black and brown folks are not brutalized and put in cages while white supremacist murderers walk free. A lot of people pointed out about the school shooter in Texas literally just about a month and a half ago who went in and shot after losing a fight, pulled out a gun and shot four people in an active school shooter situation. Shot four people in a school. The next day he was out on a $25,000 bond. Out! Accused of attempted murder of four people, shooting up a school, firearms, all kinds of different violations, walked free. But Kyle Rittenhouse should have been locked up. Former NFL quarterback Colin Kaepernick said the verdict demonstrated the need to abolish our current system. We just witnessed a system built on white supremacy validate the terrorist acts of a white supremacist. The only for, this only further validates the need to abolish our current system. White supremacy cannot be reformed. Chris Cuomo on CNN. This should be highlighted. Chris Cuomo, in still advancing the white supremacy narrative, at least was one of the very few on one of the alphabet networks, CNN or MSNBC, that actually observed that this particular verdict was correct. Quote, you're going to have people saying if he was black, this would be different, right? Because we're dealing with systemic injustice right now. And even though this verdict, I believe, is justified by the law and the facts here, that's what we should want every time. People are frustrated that you wouldn't get it if he was black, even though this may be the right outcome. So Chris Cuomo, of all people, to say this verdict was right, but then, of course, continued to try to score his woke points by saying if Kyle Rittenhouse were black, this, wouldn't be, this would not be a, a, the same outcome which, of course, is just so much garbage. If Kyle Rittenhouse was black, the left, which is right now celebrating the names of Joseph uh, um, uh, uh, Rosenbaum and celebrating the name Anthony Huber, selling the name Kyle Grosskurtz or whatever it is, while they're celebrating these particular people who attack Kyle Rittenhouse, if Kyle Rittenhouse was black, they would be the devil, they would be seizing upon Joseph Rosenbaum's criminal record as a repeat child rapist. They would be seizing on Anthony Huber, the repeat domestic abuser. They would be seizing upon uh, uh, a gross cune or whatever his last name is and his criminal record. All of them are felons. If Kyle Rittenhouse were black, all of these three white people who attacked him before he shot them would be the devil in the mainstream media and in the BLM Antifa world. But instead, since Kyle Rittenhouse is white, this is what happened in cities like Portland, Oregon. Say his name! Joseph Rosenbaum! Say his name! Joseph Rosenbaum! Say his name! Joseph Rosenbaum! Say his name, Joseph Rosenbaum. They are celebrating a child rapist, a repeat offender, multiple-time child rapist, because this child rapist was shot by Kyle Rittenhouse as he attacked him, and Kyle Rittenhouse was carrying one of those evil AR-15s, which, of course, the left wants you to believe was obtained illegally and carried across state lines illegally. 
the narrative of condemning the white kid who did the shooting with the big bad gun is more important than telling the truth about the violent child rapist that he shot. Say his name, Joseph Rosenbaum. If there was anything else you needed to know about the left in this country, anything at all, now you have it. They support child rapists, over 17-year-old white kids with AR-15s defending themselves. And the last thing I'll say before we take our time out here is this. It's a question. I want you to think about it honestly and seriously. It's an A or B, a little multiple choice for you. Would you feel safer on Public Square in downtown Cleveland with A, 100 Kyle Rittenhouses walking around with AR-15s, or B, with 100 Antifa BLM members carrying bricks, bats, frozen water bottles, urine bombs, and Molotov cocktails. Those are their weapons of choice when they have, quote, peaceful protests, you see. In which scenario would you feel safer? A hundred written houses armed with ARs, or a hundred Antifa BLM members armed with bricks, bats, urine bombs, and Molotov cocktails? Where would you feel safer? Think about it and call me, 216-901-0945. Right back. Tanya's in Akron. Tanya's now on AM 1420, The Answer. Go ahead, Tanya. Hold on. Can I take this call for a second? Tanya? 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 Yeah, I'm here, Bob. How are you? You good? Okay, I'm good. Go ahead. Yeah. You always catch me right because I'm at work. Yeah, I'll tell you what. Let me put you on hold. Let me put you on hold. Let me let me let me let me go to Derek in Richfield. We'll come back to Tanya after the conversation with Tom Holman that's upcoming. Derek, go ahead. Hey, morning, Bob. How you doing? Good, sir. What's on your mind? Um, good. So, um, you know, a basic question that's just you know come come to me. So the night before that happened last summer with Kyle Rittenhouse. Mm-hmm. There were that that car dealership there in Kenosha. Mm-hmm. There were what like a hundred cars. I think I've read. You know, were were torched or burned. Yes. So one hundred. You know, I just picture. Uh, you know, how was that not stopped or noticed? A hundred cars. Um, you know, you know, if I have a bonfire too big in my backyard, you know, someone's gonna, you know, the police or fire department's gonna come. You know, I just, you know, find it hard to picture. Um, you know, uh, Serpentini Chevrolet or Kowalski Ford. Bedford Auto Mile, someone going and doing that same thing and nobody intervening or no one stopping it. Well, um, here's, and thank you for the phone call. I appreciate it. Here's the the scenario as I understand it. <clears throat> Kyle Rittenhouse was literally called by friends of his who were owners of uh, a car dealership there in Kenosha and asked if he could come uh, with others uh, and help protect the place and to help kind of keep the peace. And and what Kyle Rittenhouse did, and now this was disputed at the trial, by the way, but what Rittenhouse did was come there with uh, the means to try to help protect places uh, and to try to clean places up. Again, he spent most of the day during the daylight hours scrubbing graffiti off of, of buildings. Um, uh, and so he was there to protect, actually, owners of a car dealership because of exactly what you just said. Uh, and when he showed up there to do that, he also brought his medical kit in case something happens and people need help. And obviously he brought his, uh, his or obtained a gun when he got there. 
because he knew he might have to defend himself and or the property that he was asked to come and help out with. Um, that part of the story, and thank you so much for the phone call. I wish I had more time to address it, but I got to get out for Tom Homan here. But that part of the story is part that the mainstream media did not want you to know. They think he just on his own saw that there was going to, there were already cars burning and, and, and vehicles being destroyed and so forth in Kenosha. And he's just going to grab a gun, drive it across state lines and go hunting. I'm going to get me some people who are, who are committing all of this, this vandalism and committing all of this property damage and, and destroying things and so forth as if he was just some sort of crazed vigilante. He was invited to go. And the reason why is he knew people there in Kenosha who were business owners and were worried, who were trying to do what they could to protect themselves and their businesses. Because he lived there most of, uh, you know, half of his life anyway. Half of his time is spent with dad in Kenosha, the other half with mom in uh, Antioch. Across state lines. But that part of the story about the damage done to businesses the night before, uh, which set in motion the events that led to, you know, it happened that night, nobody talks about that. NBC didn't tell you that. The Washington Post didn't tell you that. CNN didn't tell you that. Hell, even Fox didn't tell us that. There was so much of this that was unknown that could have really provided context that it would have led to much less outrage when Kyle Rittenhouse was acquitted. All right, time out here for news. Then we're going to come back and talk to Tom Homan, former acting director of ICE on AM 1420, The Answer. Giving woke America a wake-up call, courtesy of the Bob France Authority on AM 1420, The Answer. All right, 1037, we continue now on AM 1420, The Answer. Thanks to Jim Jordan. Thanks to Jim Renacci. Uh, for joining us last half hour. If you're on hold to talk, please bear with me and stay there. If you're not on hold, dial it up and get there at 216-901-0945. I will talk to you after I talk to our next guest, uh, who is a man that I have the deepest amount of respect for, and I always appreciate the opportunity to talk to the former acting director of ICE, Immigration and Customs Enforcement. I speak, of course, of Tom Homan. Mr. Homan, good to have you back on our program here in Cleveland, Ohio. How are you, sir? Doing fine. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure to talk to you. There's so much to get into to talk about um, our our formerly sovereign nation, which has now been surrendered, I think, intentionally by the current administration by way of our porous and open southern border. But I want to talk about something that I read you, uh, or actually I heard you say, rather, uh, about the incident in Waukesha, Wisconsin, yesterday. Uh, Tom Homan, you're talking about this, that the FBI needs to look into whether or not this was an actual terror attack on our country. Can you tell us more? Well, look, we know that similar attacks happen across the globe where someone gets in a car and runs crowds down. It's happened in several nations across the world yep. in the past year. So if if this if it wasn't a terrorist act, it could be a terrorist act inspired. But, look, nothing against local police departments. I was a local police department, but they don't have access to the information the FBI does. FBI has information that data, uh, has access databases that the local PD doesn't, such as DOD databases, where they have you know known suspected terrorists or terrorist ties are, are found in many of those DOD databases. So I'm just saying, look, this this seems to be the same thing that happened in Paris and, and several other cities in the past year. Get the get the feds involved. Let them run checks on. They got a person of interest. Check his financials. Check his uh, uh, phone communications. Who's he talking to? Where's he getting his money from? And check his social media posts, check his internet connections. And, you know, why not? I mean, it's, I, I think it should be part of the investigation. Perhaps this guy just went nuts, decided to run people over and kill him, or it's just part of a bigger plot. 
Yeah, it is a very, very good question. Obviously, everybody wants to want to know what the motive is here. It's interesting that they call him a person of interest and not a suspect. I mean, they literally, I believe, pulled him out of the SUV. They got the Ford key. They found in, uh, his identification and information inside the vehicle that ran through there. Yet they're not calling him a suspect, and I'm not sure exactly why. Um, but, but here's a quick question for you. And drawing on your law enforcement background, Tom Holman, not just your your ICE background. Um, if if this is the individual that is responsible for this, you know his information and his criminal record is all over the place right now online, including the fact that he had an open warrant, a felony warrant from last year. He was facing charges from uh, violent crimes committed last year, and he had new charges, felonies, multiple felonies from November fifth of this year. And just two days before this this horrific attack on the nineteenth, he was set free on a one thousand dollar bond. How are we treating violent criminals in this country to the point where they're facing multiple felonies from two different dates? Um, and, and, and we're just, yeah, yeah, just turn them loose into the community and do whatever they do on a $1,000 bond, which is essentially no bail. Well, this is, a, this is an example of, you know, the, this bond reduction program going across, across the country. I mean, it's happening in New York City, you know, the, the, that you know, they feel like, you know, posting bond on people is unfair to minorities and those that are less fortunate. And you got these programs going on. They went on to California. They're going on to New York. All these, all these new programs where people are released. But during the during the riots in New York City, uh, and they're arresting people, and within hours, they'd be turned around, like back out in the community. There's there's thousands of examples of this. You know, in, in New York City, I, actually New York State. I read. I, I was I was talking to somebody in in, in Albany last week. Legislatures actually look at, at making changes to that. They've taking such a beating on it, and, and the crime rate in New York is, is, is sky high. Mm-hmm. So all these new programs that, that the progressives are pushing, I think with the rise in crime, they're realizing, look, this isn't working. Bad guys need to be locked up. Bad guys need to at least post a, a large bond to guarantee their appearance. So I think a lot of this, these new programs being pushed by progressives are, are, are just like to defund the police, right? They defund the police in some of these cities. Now they're refunding them because they realize it's a stupid idea to begin with. So this, you know, this whole new progressive mind, uh, you know, mind game they're playing that people that should, if they can't afford bond, they shouldn't be posting bond or be, they shouldn't be held with bond because they can't afford it and it's, and it's unfair to poor people. Look, we're talking about criminals. I don't care if you're rich or poor. If you, if you commit a, if you commit a public safety offense and you're a threat to public safety, you ought to be locked up until you have your hearing from the judge. Well, you know what, Tom Holman, former acting ICE director, you're spot on in here. Let me analogize that to to the situation at the border now. You know, they're taking all of these criminals uh, that are that are charged with these crimes, and as you say, setting them free with no bond because of the fairness of it all. It looks to me very similar to what's going on at our southern border. We have people coming across. Alejandro Mayorkas testified before a Senate committee last week. You probably saw Ted Cruz asking over and over, how many of these people are child rapists? How many of these people are murderers? How many people are this, that, and the other? And and Mayorkas had no answer because these people aren't being vetted. He said, we don't know. They're not being vetted, and they're being treated the same way that these criminals are that you're talking about, being set free into the United States and told, hey, come on back. on a, If they even get a date at all, come on back so that we can adjudicate your case and decide whether or not you get to stay here under asylum laws. It's it's kind of similar. We're, pres- we're giving the presumption of innocence uh, to people who may be very dang- dangerous people to the community. Well, it's both ways. First of all, Alejandro Mayorga is a liar. Uh, he, he's an embarrassment to the very position he holds. Because I've talked to border patrol agents, and some of these people that are vetted, and they come across. For instance, I talked to border patrol agents on detail Rio Grande Valley. Mm-hmm. This is a fact. 
two months ago, he processed an adult male. He was COVID positive because they had him in a dining facility. They tested him, said he's COVID positive. But the Border Patrol chose not, the commanding, the command of the Border Patrol chose not to detain this person because he had COVID. Despite the fact that a criminal record check showed he was convicted of manslaughter, murder, excuse me, it was murder, convicted of murder. Here's a guy entered the country illegally, which is a crime, has a previous conviction for murder, and they're not going to detain him. They release him because they don't want to detain COVID people. This is, this is just ridiculous what this administration is doing. And the secretary knows criminals are being released. Border Patrol has arrested over 10,000 known criminals this year. That's who they arrested. Now, there's 400,000 gotaways, people that weren't arrested, got by the Border Patrol. Criminals don't want to be arrested because the chances are they may get their fingerprints taken, and when they're criminals, they may be detained. So the 400,000, how many criminals are when those 400,000? How many, if Border Patrol arrested 14 people on the FBI screening database, how many of 400,000? are known as suspected terrorists because they don't want to get called either. So they'll try to stick in. How many of the 400,000 have COVID? We know the administration has released thousands, knowingly released thousands with COVID. How many of 400,000 had COVID? And, 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 and how many of these, how many of these 400,000, you know, had fentanyl, carrying fentanyl? Because fentanyl is at an all-time high, over 100,000 overdose deaths this year. This secretary is an embarrassment to this country. He's not the secretary of Homeland Security. He's the secretary of insecurity. We had the most secure border in my lifetime. And now we have the first president and the first secretary in the history of this nation that came into office and unsecured the border. Who the hell does that? This is, and you're right, this is on purpose. This is by design. This is an incompetence. This is a mismanagement. This is an open borders. That's what the president ran for to win the progressive left. He sold this country out, become president. He's an embarrassment to this country. He's not my commander in chief. I don't understand, Tom Homan, how anybody can accept the borders are Kamala Harris's uh, argument that, oh, here's how I'm addressing it. I'm going to look at the root causes of why people leave other countries to want to come to the United States. Since when is that the job of somebody tasked with securing our border? Our, 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 our job here and her job here shouldn't be to ask them, hey, why do you want to come across? It should be lock up the border, and then if they want to apply for legal immigration to this country, then we will find out, hey, why do you want to come here? And we'll determine on a case-by-case basis who gets let in. I, I've never heard of anything other than, or anything like, um, we're trying to look at the root cause. Isn't the root cause that there's a bunch of, I think what President Trump called, and you and I can't say on the radio, blank hole countries that are terrible, and people want to get out of them and come to our country. That doesn't give them a right to do so. No, the root cause of this of this tragedy this year, historic, the, the illegal immigration crossings, they're claiming 1.7 is actually 1.9 because they're not claiming the border entry crossings. 1.9 uh, uh, encounters this year, an historic high. Some radio stations says, you know, it's 35-year high. No, it's not. It's an historic high. We never had numbers this high. If she wants to find the root causes, walk down the hall to the Oval Office. There's your root causes. Because of his actions to shut down the Trump uh, policies, that we had the most secure border in a lifetime. So the root causes are sitting in the Oval Office. She, don't even need to leave the, need the, she doesn't even need to leave the building to find the root causes. Second of all, I'm sick and tired of her and others saying, well, we're, we're, you know, we've inherited a broken immigration system. No, you didn't. You inherited the most secure border I've seen in my career. The data clearly shows it. Immigration was down at 35-year low. Illegal immigration down 86%. So you didn't, you didn't inherit a broken immigration system. You inherited a secure border, and people were enforcing immigration law that you don't like. 
first of all, Kamala Harris, when she was a senator, she pushed for sanctuary uh, laws. She pushed for, uh, um, uh, she's the one that would, 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 would vilify the men and women of the border patrol being inhumane to the, the, to the illegal aliens. She, 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 she compared ICE to the KKK. So let's be truthful. She doesn't believe in immigration enforcement. She's an open borders advocate. So to say that you inherited a broken system, no, you inherited a system that you despise because we're, we're enforcing our law and protecting our sovereignty. The open borders advocates do not care about law enforcement. You can't name one thing this secretary has done. Name one thing he has done to slow the flow. But everything they have done is getting quicker and quicker and faster and more efficient at, at processing people quicker to release them from custody quicker so there doesn't appear to be a crisis because there's no overcrowding of the facilities. There's nothing to see here. No crisis. They're, they're, they're spending all their time dealing with the, the optics of the crisis and not the crisis itself. This 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 is by design, and this is terrible, and it's anti-American what they're doing. Last question for you, if you would, Mr. Holman. Um, you're right about Alejandro Mayorkas, a thousand percent right. Every time he is asked about the difference between the last administration and this administration in, with respect to the number of border crossings, the security of the border, et cetera, et cetera, he says every single time, paraphrasing him now, that we believe that our uh, uh, approach to to immigration enforcement and border security is in keeping with American values. In other words, American values means we don't actually have sovereignty. We don't actually have a border. We are a flop house. People can come and go as they please. That's American values because to do it other ways would be to uh, you to actually you know patrol the border would actually be to deny people the opportunity to come to this country, which they seem to believe is uh, you know is is open for everyone, regardless of what part of the world you live in. This country is open to you. But once again, he's wrong. He has no idea what he's talking about. As far as our values of the country, we're the most giving nation in the world. We welcome more refugees in this country than every other country in the world combined. Mm-hmm. And we've done this for decades. We give billions of dollars to these Central American countries to, to try to keep their people down there and have opportunities. But because of corruption down there, because of failures to attract the money, it hasn't helped. But look, bottom line is the, the values of this country were a nation of laws. We believe there should be a system of consequence and deterrence to breaking our laws. There's a reason Congress wrote laws to protect our sovereignty and protect our border. He is the chief law enforcement officer in the Department of Homeland Security. He has sent policies out telling ICE agents, and I quote, in the latest policy to ICE agents, it is no longer enough to arrest somebody for simply being here illegally. So what kind of message does that send the rest of the world? He told the immigration officers of ICE, ignore the statute, ignore your oath. If you want to cross somebody here illegally, that's not enough to arrest them. They need to commit some serious felony and be convicted of it. That, so I don't want to hear American values. He, he has no American values. If he did, he believed in a system of laws. He believed in a system that was built, that, that it was successful. President Trump supported American values because what he did, he told Eisenberg to enforce the laws on the books. Do your job. Uphold your oath. And because of what they did, they had the most secure border in a lifetime. That's American values. And it's not American values to let enough fentanyl come across this country because the border is open now. That killed over 100,000 young children this year. A record. It's not, a, it's, it's not American values to knowingly release COVID into this country when you're making Americans mask up. You're making young children take a vaccine to go, go back to school. But illegal aliens can come across the border with COVID and release them. So how serious is the COVID? No, the secretary's got it all wrong. He's just a puppet for this administration. Tom Holman, the former acting director of ICE, Immigration and Customs Enforcement. I wish you were still active, sir. I wish you were still in a position of authority so we can get something done here. But I appreciate well, you. Let me say this. Let me yes, say this. Mm-hmm. I was with the president three days ago down in Mar-a-Lago. I made the president this commitment. You come back, I come back, and we'll fix this garbage. Oh, God. That's... 
from from your words to God's ears and to the American voters' ears, that would be something we need to make happen. Mr. Holman, thank you for being a patriot, and thank you for your time, sir. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Tom Holman. Wow. Do I dare to dream? Do I dare to dream? If you come back, sir, I'll come back. We need that man in charge of our border policy, period. Period. And not just in charge of ICE. And I mean our border policy. I mean in charge of homeland security. That's what we need. I'll be right back. Okay, 10.55, let's get as many of these in as we can before the top of the hour. Tanya in Akron, are you good now, Tanya? Okay. Tanya? All right, Tanya's at work. Yes, Tanya, how are you? Oh, you are there. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, first of all, your commentary on Renacy, we need to vote him in. We should never vote the wine in. We always have to remember, when people show us our color, don't vote for him again. Stop believing the lie. Uh, with the Rittenheimer, written, what is Rittenhouse. his name? I can't Rittenhouse. 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 All the lies that are being told, we need to be able to have courage to stand. And I, I said this for the last two years, calling, calling in, is that we, when someone tells us something, we need to be able to stand up and say something. We're too busy thinking it's going to pass over us. We have one last chance to stand. I think you play that when you play the Reagan. We will lose it if we do not stand and fight now. We, have, we, have, we don't have any more times for the suburban housewife, the white middle class, the black middle class to say, oh, we'll get to it later after we put our children to Ohio State and to the College of Worcester. There will be nothing for them to go to if we don't stand up and fight right now. Well, the good news, Tanya, the good news is this, and I I agree with everything you just said, and thank you for the phone call. The good news is is now we have at least, um, you know, uh, something we can point to that says we can fight. We can fight in self-defense. And that was what the Rittenhouse case proved. We can fight back if we are attacked. We should not take the fight to anybody else physically. We can do it figuratively, rhetorically, legislatively. We can fight and be aggressive. Uh, but as it pertains to physical, at least now we know we can fight defensively, uh, thanks to that jury in Kenosha. Uh, let's go to Mario. Hey, my good friend Mario in Asenzig. Hey, Mario, what's on your mind, my friend? Uh, good morning, sir. First good morning. Like, thank you agreeing to be our keynote speaker once again for the third time at the Geauga County Conservative Club's gala. We're going to have our Christmas gala at the Lavera Party Center on December 16th. Doors open at 5 p.m. Tickets are still available. We got an all-star lineup, as you know. We got Bob Francis, our keynote speaker. We got congressional candidate Max Miller, senatorial candidate Bernie Marino, gubernatorial candidate Jim Renacy. Guys, I just listened to the whole interview with Bob France. Bob, you knocked it out of the park. Jim Renace is the only guy that can win this election against the, the current governor. Let me tell you a story. We were back. I was drove in the presidential motorcade to the IAC Center for President Trump, and we're parked behind stage. This is when Jim was running for Senate, and uh, Mike was running for governor. Mike had a tizzy that Jim Renace was going to be on stage with him, and he threw a, a, a fit like you wouldn't believe. 
So they get up on stage, and Trump looks over out of the wing, says, Jim, come on up here. So let me tell you who Jim Renacci is going to have an endorsement from when time comes. Donald J. Trump, I guarantee it. Wow, that's huge. And I'll tell you what, Mario, as, as it pertains to that gala on uh, December 16th, I'm honored that you asked me. Seriously, it's going to be a great night of great conservatism and, of course, Christmas celebration. It's a Christmas gala, December 16th. Uh, tickets where, uh, Mario? You, you can get them online at uh, HTTPS uh, colon backs forward slash four. It's, it's on the flyer. Go on to Facebook, flyer, <laughs> or you can call me directly. 216-520-1977. Let me tell you what Facebook is done. I, I, I'm we out of time, my friend. I'm out of time, but I will make sure that we give that number out again uh, tomorrow as well. Mario, thanks very much. Thanks to everybody. We'll see you tomorrow. Let's go, Brandon. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.